Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to Justice, a podcast exploring all areas of the justice system. With me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, I speak to Rihanna Taylor, who's the chief executive of Circles UK. They are the national body supporting Circles of Support and Accountability, an innovative model that uses groups of volunteers in the community working alongside criminal justice agencies to reduce sexual offending. Good morning, Edwina. I'm Rihanna Taylor. I'm the chief executive of Circles UK. What does Circles UK do? Circles UK is the national organisation that oversees the delivery of a programme that we call Circles of Support and Accountability. Now, the programme is delivered by providers who are based in different regions of the country. And the programme is focused on perpetrators of sexual abuse. And when you say perpetrators of sexual abuse, it's probably a good time to make sure that our listeners understand what a broad range that might cover. So could you sort of explain the types of offences? Yeah, we work with a very wide range of people. I mean, the most typical person we work with is someone who's committed quite serious um, sexual offences like rape, sexual assault. So it's the higher uh, end. Yeah, and very often crimes um, committed against children. So the very serious, high-end, high-risk end of sexual abuse. Typically, they go to prison for a number of years and then they come out of prison when they're released into the community and they're normally released on licence to probation. They're also subject to a whole range of restrictions and public protection mechanisms like MAPA. MAPA stands for Multi-Agency Public Protection Arrangements. So that means they would be uh, on the register. They have to regularly... The sex re- yeah, register. And they have to regularly report to the police and they have a lot of restrictions like when they want to travel outside the country, they have to get permission and things like that. But also not all people fit into that category. We also work with people who are much younger. Um, How young might... As as young as um, 10, 11, yes. Um, You know, our biggest range of people is between the ages of sort of 15 to 18. But some of our providers work with younger people as well. And majority male, female, what's the split? About 6 to 10% of the people we work with are female. Okay. So not a high percentage, but we certainly see them. 
And um, I think it would be a mistake to just assume that all perpetrators are male. It's it's not right. I mean, we've seen in the press also, you've seen where there's been a group of people, you know, sometimes with one or two females and one male perpetrator kind of almost uh, working together in terms of, of, of abusing children and sometimes very small children. Um, we don't know a lot about female perpetrators because the numbers have been so small, but it is a growing evidence base and certainly um, we, we do kind of provide a more women-specific way of delivering a circle. Uh, it's the same methodology and still delivered with volunteers that are very well trained and the same kind of material, but just geared towards more women relevant issues, certainly. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's always a controversial area because you always have to work out that female, could she be a victim as well within that interaction if there is a male perpetrator involved. Um, and it's not always the case. There are females who perpetrate on their own and um, can be just as harmful as males. Um, but sometimes when there's a male-female combination of perpetrators, you always have to ask the question, how did that female get into that abusive yeah, situation? Yeah, and I think we've seen that with certain high-profile cases, haven't we, where a girl might be lured in to a racket and then they're abused and then they're asked to go and procure maybe younger people in order right. to bring yeah. them to... That's right. And I think the Ghislaine Maxwell uh, case has yeah. really brought this to the fore, isn't it? People asking and... and, and in her court case, there was an attempt to kind of portray her as a victim, um, you know, not very successfully from the sound of it. But it is certainly an issue which makes it more complicated, very often women's involvement in a sexual abuse situation. Really complicated. And I think also because it's sort of we have so much more sympathy and one can understand why with children, but then it's sort of that switch goes, doesn't it, at some point. And when someone becomes an adult and as they get older, you're seen much, much more as a perpetrator, rightly or wrongly. I mean, who yeah. knows? But it's interesting watching that shift from innocent child to evil premeditated Absolutely. Adult. So can you paint a picture for me? Someone comes out of prison. Let's say um, a man comes out of a male prison. He's been in for, let's say, you know, over 10 years. Uh, he has to sign the sex offenders register. He's under MAPA arrangements. How do how do your team and your staff interact with that person? And what do they what do they do? What does the circle look like? Yeah, well, a circle consists of uh, four to six volunteers that we recruit from the community. And also a circle consists of two very important aspects. First of all, what we call the inner circle. Now, the inner circle is the volunteers with the service user, and we call the service user the core member of the circle. And that is deliberate because that person is the focus. It's a person-centered uh, approach in that the service user determines the approach and therefore every circle is individual. There's certain prescriptions and there's materials and there's a methodology and there's a theory of change, but 
all of that is kind of adapted to the needs of the individual and that that is the inner circle. So that inner circle will meet with the core member in the beginning as often as once a week. And in the beginning of a circle, it's quite formal meetings uh, that may take place in a, you know, quite a formal venue. A circle, the first phase lasts roughly about 12 months. And then there can be a second phase if the person needs additional support because very often um, the typical people that we work with have very complicated uh, issues and um, problems that they carry from early childhood. Many of them had gone through adverse childhood experiences. They have very complicated lives and it is not a situation that you just turn around with two or three sessions. So it's a long program. It is not for everyone. It's very intensive and therefore quite a long program. The second phase can be up to 18 months and sometimes even beyond that. So um, just depending on the needs of the person. That's the inner circle. And also, as the circle progresses, it becomes more and more informal because we also want the person to de develop independence and not being dependent on the volunteers. So the idea is that eventually when the circle is completed, that person has learned a whole range of skills, has come to terms with a whole lot of things that he or she has done uh, through the course of you know, their offending career and can have then at that stage, by the time they leave the circle, we want them to have made positive relationships in the community, have made positive friends, um, you know, have become part of community structures. It could be a faith community, it could be a sport club, it could be whatever works for them. Yeah, which is um, really difficult, right? Yeah, because I, absolutely. I guess I was going to ask you actually what type of things the volunteers might talk to the core member about. I imagine it's anything from the weather to how you're feeling to maybe the core member saying, I've made a good friend. At what time is it appropriate dis to disclose maybe? Or is it okay to disclose? Because also that person might have restrictions on them as to who they can be around, right? geographically where they're allowed to go if it was an offense against a child they won't wouldn't be able to be around children or near a school or so that must be really tricky to navigate it's very tricky so you know it normally takes quite a bit of time to set up the circle because we have to look at all those factors we also have to match the volunteers to the core member you know if it is a an older core member then it may not be appropriate to give that person a group of students um, on the other hand if it's a very young core member you don't you know maybe it is appropriate to have one or two older people who can almost act as almost grandparents in the circle mm. or mentors. So we kind of also have to find the right balance of volunteers to the person. And then you have to take into consideration all the restrictions, all the kind yeah. of individual factors. And I imagine that you're not, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, I imagine your doors aren't being sort of knocked down um, of volunteers wanting to do this work. It seems sort of quite niche. I mean, it's incredible 
that these people exist. And I think your organization is incredible for leaning into this space. Um, thank God, quite frankly, for people like you. But how does that work? Are there enough volunteers wanting to do this work? Well, it's very interesting. We have enough volunteers. We have more than 600 active volunteers wow. all over the country. And actually, they tend to stay for quite a long time once they've signed up with us because we really invest in them. They obviously have to be screened very carefully before we take them on. Uh, they also have to be trained um, very, very well, you know, to be able to do that kind of job. But also they have to be supported and developed continuously because, you know, when they sit in a circle and they hear and you ask what we talk to them about, we talk to them literally about everything that is relevant to that person's life. So it can be from what did you do this morning? Uh, and the person may say, well, I had a cup of tea with my mother and that meeting didn't go very well because she's not happy with me. And obviously then they would focus on that and discuss it. To actually exploring the offence history of the person and kind of because also remember... Um, there's two parts to a circle. We call a circle a, a circle of support and accountability. And there's an absolute reason why there's those two aspects. So we don't only act as a support to the perpetrator or the core member. We also act as an accountability mechanism. And the out second structure of a circle is what we call the outer circle. The outer circle consists of the agencies who refer the person to us. Most of the time that would be probation, it would be police, could be um, a youth offending team, it could be health, it could be social services, could be a local authority, but they then form uh, the outer circle and they kind of get, after every circle, they get a report from the circle coordinator. Now, those are paid staff who are employed by the providers of circles and they supervise and oversee the circles as well as the volunteers and the core member. And they the kind of go between, between the inner circle and the outer circle to the statutory agencies and the agencies that make up the outer circle. So there's constantly that communication process and we are very upfront with the core members. We actually say, if you provide us with information that show us that your risk is increasing and that you could be harming a child or an, another person, we are under an obligation to talk to the police and to okay. the probation officer about right. it. Right, the responsibility is huge. Absolutely. Isn't it? And, you know, we walk this very fine balance between achieving the trust of the core member and really working to support that person and to be non-shaming, non-blaming, non-judgmental, um, but on the other hand, holding that space for future victims, for all the survivors out there who have been harmed enormously through sexual abuse. And if we have to weigh up where we, we have to put our emphasis, we err on the side of the victim or the survivor. And we are absolutely upfront with a core member. You know, when they, they sign an agreement when they start a circle, and actually it's not only the core member who signs the agreement, it's also the volunteers, that they would work in a certain way. And one of the provisions in there is if you come forward and give us information, 
we have to actually disclose that. And that is the role of the outer circle, where we constantly report back and say, this person is doing really well, is making good progress, we're thinking the risk is starting to reduce, uh, this person is making you know, links into the community, is really not denying uh, the harm that he or she has caused, and we actually see some positive pro progress. But what is quite amazing is we manage that fine balance between the support and the accountability role, I think, really well, because we've had examples where the core members come to the circle and said, I think my risk is increasing. And can you work with me? Maybe it is time for me to be recalled back to prison. That's amazing. Now, we see that as a success, to be honest Absolutely. with you, because A, we protect the community, we prevent further victims, which is really why we we in the work we, we, we're working in. But also, secondly, that means that person is starting to self-regulate him or herself. And that is what we want, because in an... People always ask us, what does success look like to you? And what people want us to say is we work with really serious perpetrators of sexual abuse and we're going to change their lives so that they never, ever have any negative sexual thought and they're never, ever going to damage another child. Now, that's what we all want in an ideal world, but we're realistic enough to know that that's not always possible. And what we want is if we can help that person to get to a place where they don't deny the harm they cause and they are prepared to work with us to self-regulate their behavior, to learn what their trigger factors are, to understand what situations to them create danger for themselves and that they start turning away from that themselves. And, you know, we all do that. It's a very human trait, you know. Just take all of us, we regulate ourselves in terms of what we eat. Uh, I'd like to have cake every day. <laughs> <laughs> me too. You know, but I don't allow myself to have every cake every day because it's not good for me. Yeah. And that's a form of self-regulation, isn't it? So we do it all the time without thinking what we are doing. But for some people, you have to teach those mechanisms. And again, where you have something where a person has a sexual attraction to a child, that is incredibly difficult to self-regulate that behavior because... Uh, the people who, who, you know, say to us, you know, who are attracted to children, they've known for a very long time that they have that attraction and they find it almost impossible to, I mean, research tells us that it is impossible to change that orientation. If right. you're attracted to children, you're normally attracted to children. And if there was a switch that they could switch to turn that off, in your experience, do you, would you say that they would... The majority really like of them free would, of yeah. I, in our experience, I can't imagine that we've ever had someone who said, I have chosen to have an attraction to children because just think the difficulties that they have in their own lives. And they are vilified by everyone around them. You know, we have such an abhorrence to that in, 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 in all societies for that matter. So um, there are people who, who acknowledge that they have an attraction to children, but there are also people who have an attraction to children who've never acted on that attraction. And I think that is something that often the general public are not aware of. Um, so these are people who won't have been in prison and they hear about your organisation and think, my God, I think it's time to pick up the phone and get some help.
we get quite a few calls at Circles UK um, from people like that. And also the people who provide Circles, the providers, they report the same. Uh, and there's been an attempt actually a few years ago for actually, for us to look at a specific program for that type of person because they haven't gone through the criminal justice system. They have not offended. They are very often very respectable people in the community. You'd be surprised to know who they are. They can be anyone, you know. Uh, I mean, you've seen the arrests that's been made through big police operations about... Uh, people with online offending, and they've been prison governors, they've been bankers, they've been judges, they've been teachers, they've been homeless people. So it can be anyone, you know, there's not a specific type of person who's drawn or attracted to a child. Um, but anyway, a few years ago, we actually explored the possibility of, of creating a circus program for that group of people to just provide some support and help to them. The problem was we could not get any funding for it. You know, even though there were funders who were very interested in that concept, there's such a huge incidence of abuse that goes through the criminal justice system already that you can't even resource properly to provide uh, a full intervention for every person right. who needs and it. And are you talking about funders that might have been like the Ministry of Justice, for example? Yes. And, you know, you can understand with them in defence of the Ministry of Justice why they wouldn't want to fund something like that. It's their, their role is about people who go through the criminal justice system. So when I was talking about funders, I wasn't necessarily meaning the Ministry of Justice okay, or the so Home Trust Office. I was mostly thinking of yeah, other funders, you know, and again, they were really willing to look at the issue. But again, the demand of people who have gone through the criminal justice system is so great that when you weigh it up, people often see funding the preventative agenda, which that would be as a bit of a luxury. Okay. Does that not sit with the police in the police yeah, budget? Yeah, in terms of, it could, you know, but again, you know, How again, you police would say we prioritise people that we've arrested, that we, you know, know right. is on our radar. And again, with, you know, scarce resources, you can kind of see where they're coming from. You know, they, they've had lots of, you know, resource cuts over the years. And again, what was of concern is this week, um, the Office for National Statistics released um, the latest crime report. And I don't know if you've seen the massive increase in rapes and sexual assaults. I did and see all that. other violent crime is actually down, including knife crime, gun crime. But rape and sexual assault, I think, is up by 13%, which actually is enormous. And yet the prosecutions and the convictions for those kind of crimes are completely at the, one of the lowest levels they've ever been. So how do we remove the stigma? Because as a philanthropist myself that operates sort of within the criminal justice system, to me it seems like um, a very sensible idea to... Um, you know, invest in programs being written. So how much would a program like the one you suggest for people who haven't offended against a child or an adult for that matter, how much would that cost if you were going to pitch to a philanthropist or a trust and foundation and say, look, this is really important. Prevention is key. Let's get this done. How much roughly? Well, it's, it, it varies from program to program because it depends how long your intervention is, how many people you need to deliver it, how much time it takes to develop it and all the rest of it. I mean, we, we do things quite um, cost effectively because 
I'm fortunate that there's enormous experts in this area of work in my own team, but also amongst the providers we work with. You know, we always develop things in tandem with them because they are the real experts. They do the job every day, face to face. You know, we, from Circles UK side, we oversee it and we make sure that the standards are right and the program is delivered safely. But in terms of your question, uh, also you need to kind of make sure that you have academic experts on your team to be your advisors to make sure your theory of change is well developed, that it's based on a theoretical underpinning where there's the research basis, etc. Um, and it could be anything from, if you factor in staff time and all the rest of it, anything between 20,000 and 100,000, depending right. how extensive your Okay, well, that still is. gives a, an interesting yeah. sort of range. And again, you know, people may say that's expensive because you have to pay for staff time and the time <laughs> yeah, of your but, but what you prevent in terms of the terrible harm and agony and for, for victims, survivors and their families and loved ones and people who care about them who are also indirect victims of that and the cost of the criminal justice system plus look at the cost of someone who goes to prison you know, 44000 a year. Absolutely. Uh, I mean it's know, enormous. All, yeah. You know, whether we're interested in work in the criminal justice system or interested in the work of circles, I think we can all agree that we would like victims to not exist in the sense that we don't want people sexually offending against anybody. And you can either lean into that and try and do something about it, or you can completely ignore it. Um, completely ignoring it is not going to help. That's right. Um, I mean, my personal view is that we do too little on the preventative agenda, not only in the area of sexual abuse, but everything in our country, health, social care, name it, you know, I mean, uh, and crime is a big thing where we should focus on young people, we should do early intervention, we should stop the problem before it gets large. Why are we so uninterested? You know, let's deal with obesity when people are obese. Let's deal with these sort of, you know, sexual offending problems once someone has committed the crime. You know, so much, I hear so much of the police sort of talking about what happens to the victim, you know, um, after they've been raped and, and, and great that there is stuff happening for victims. But what we really don't want is for a victim to be a victim. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you know, I mean, it's a complex scenario, you know, there would be multiple factors why we don't uh, invest in the preventative agenda. But I think part of the reason is that we tend to think in a very short termist way. And our political structures are quite short termist as well. I mean, if you just look at how many ministers of justice you can have in a two-year period, you know, how often there's shifts and we we also constantly restructure and transform and all the rest of it. But all of that brings massive instability in government departments and in services that are being delivered. And as a result of it, it's very difficult to have a kind of long-term preventative strategy. You need to look at things like 20 to 25-year strategies to be really successful. And we just don't have the political world to do that in, in, in my personal view from what I see um, and until that change we we won't really invest in prevention because we it's just quicker to go for quick fixes and, and, and think they're going to work um, and you know we also at the moment there's quite a, 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 a big emphasis on delivering high volume 
programs of low cost. But for the kind of people that we see coming through the doors of circles, that approach isn't for them because, as I've explained to you in the beginning, they have entrenched long-term problems that have come from very early childhood. You don't just turn that person's life around in a few sessions uh, that you you know, charge 300 pounds for, you know, it's not realistic. There are people for whom those programs work, but they're not the group that we are looking at, certainly. And again, when you look at that kind of, you know, the preventative agenda of those people who have an acknowledged interest in children and realize that they have a complex issue to address, again, you're not going to solve it with a quick fix program. You need a much longer term intervention. And again, and you know, it's not only where crime and offending behavior is concerned. I mean, if we just look at general mental health provision in the country, it's pretty poor. Uh, an, An average person on the street who wants to have access to a counselor or a psychologist can wait for six months to two years to have access to someone if they can't pay for themselves privately. And that is just wrong. We, we're a first world country. I have worked and lived in very third world countries, so I know that other side. And I'm always shocked at the resources we have in the UK and how we squander a lot of it or don't apply it in the most cost-effective way that would make the biggest difference to people's lives. And in my, my concern is preventing further victims in, in the work that we do. How much does your work overlap with the police and crime commissioners? Because, of course, they have more of a local county brief, yet they're all over the country, and they have a big budget, uh, mainly to do with policing, as I understand it, being the police and crime commissioner, that would make sense. What scope is there for you to be commissioned by police and crime commissioner's budget? There's big scope for that, and, you know, the the police and crime commissioners are really essential in the work we do, and they fund a lot of the providers that we work with, the providers who, who oversee circles delivery. Some of their funding come from police and crime commissioners and from the police and from probation and sometimes a mixed model sometimes a little bit of funding from the PCC a little bit of funding from probation a little bit of funding from the police um, which which a kind of co-commissioned model for for service uh, delivery and um, some PCCs are very very committed to circles they know how they work they know how they operate they are real supporters of the program and then there are some others who you know it's a mixed picture isn't it there's there's a lot of them all over the country and they have different priorities in their respective areas so some would choose to more provide funding for victims and survivors some would you know be more inclined to work with us in terms of perpetrator services so again we just target them all individually and try and get them on board and but some of we've had some amazing supporters from the police and crime commissioners just as in the same from the home office from the police from probation and ministry of justice as well and then we've talked um obviously a bit about people who might be interested in children and that aspect but just keen to sort of steer away from that so we don't sort of end up, um, you know, letting people believe that, you know, sexual offending is all about sort of paedophilia. What, how much of your work is about domestic violence and sort of whether it's man on woman, woman on man, but adult to adult? Yeah, that, that does come through, although our primary focus is, isn't domestic 
abuse. Okay. Our primary focus is sexual abuse, but you can't always separate the two. No. I mean, so you know, we recognise yeah, that. Sorry, I was yeah, uh, I was definitely yeah, thinking yeah. sort of domestic abuse being you know yeah. if a if the wife is raped by the that's husband right. or boyfriend. It, yeah, we. Re- I mean, there's marital rape. There's you know mm. you know there's um, um, domestic often sexual abuse within a relationship context often also involves domestic abuse, um, you know. But again, our, if we do get a person in a circle where both aspects apply, then we will work within that framework. And that's what I meant when I said to you, every circle is unique. It is person-centered and it is strength-based as well. So working with the individual to explore the areas of strength. And if that person comes with both domestic abuse and sexual abuse, we will work within that framework with that person. But our primary focus is really, really sexual abuse. Okay. And just going back to the programs for a moment, because on the podcast, I'm always keen to draw out the solutions because I think, um, you know, these topics are really heavy and it's always nice to talk about solutions. So you never know who might be listening, who might be interested to to lean in um, on the funding side of things. So you've talked about a program that would be really useful for people who um, have sexual thoughts towards children, but, you know, are not acting on it yet. Um, what would be your next... Thing. If you had a magic wand, if you were to create the program that someone said, right, this could go national, what, what are your thoughts on that? I think we have the programs already, to be honest with you, because we have a program for adults, the, the kind of program I've just described for you now, the kind of high risk and uh, people who've been in prison have convictions, they go through that program. Then we have a program for young people. Um, not all of them have gone through the criminal justice system. It's possible that they can get onto the program without, you know, if they're under police caution or something like that. Uh, we have a pro- program uh, which we call Circles Reboot, which we've very recently developed. And that is a program for quite low risk people who uh, access online um, child sexual exploitation material. Um, and then we've got, we also work with people with intellectual disability and autism spectrum conditions and neurodiversity. So I think the programs are there. What the issue is for us is the funding and the resourcing of those programs okay. because they are fairly expensive because they're long and you're working with four to six volunteers per week or every two weeks with this person so you people always say to us but as volunteers you don't have costs that's the biggest myth in the world you yeah. know <laughs> they uh, need to volunteers eat, they need to travel, they yeah need they exactly they need to be trained they need to be selected they need to be dbs checked they need to be continuously developed yeah, and supported you have paid staff who do that role for you and you know just supporting the core member you know for a year to 18 months takes resources and effort so it is actually the resources I think the programs are there and they there are a handful of other organizations who work and we all work kind of together in that space Um, but if you look at it there's very few organizations who focus on perpetrators of sexual abuse Um, and the reason why they are so few is not because there's not a need there's a huge need but it's because there's no money in the system for perpetrators the little bit of money that is there go to victims and survivors and we fully support that the other organizations that we all working in partnership with you know fortunately if you go and look at 
do is out there. We don't step on each other's toes. We we are actually complementary to each other. We're not in, in competition or in opposition. And it's organisations like the Lucy Faithful Foundation. It's our own circles providers who often not only do circles, but they do a whole lot of other wonderful work like Circle Southeast, for instance, run a, a partner programme, you know, for people who... Um, their partners have been affected by the, you know, when that knock comes on the door and the police stands there saying, I've come to arrest you for uh, downloading images, very often the partner and the children in that house were blissfully unaware of what was going on there. And imagine the shock for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, think about, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Sarah Everard's uh, murderer. Uh, He had a wife and two children. Imagine when they discovered this person who did these terrible things is their husband and their father okay so you're saying Uh, there's a program to there's a program for that you know and you know there's a number of other wonderful initiatives you know that 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 people do but everyone struggles for funding you know it is a a hand-to-mouth existence year on year you know we submit your budgets to your boards and you have a fundraising target in (laughs) there and you when by the time your budget goes to your board at the end of March you're running on a potential deficit I'm just thinking of sort of you know those glittery fundraising evenings I went to one um, not so long ago but it was about sort of endangered animals and it was sort of all rather lovely and rather interesting and and not that it's funny, but I'm sort of trying to imagine a, a lovely evening where everyone's eating beautiful food we and drinking wine. We can't to do it. <laughs> Will you stand yeah. up and talk yeah. about perpetrators of sexual violence? I mean, it's just exactly. it's just not going to fly, is And it? imagine if we stand on a street corner shaking a tin. People will lynch us, Yeah, you know. So our fundraising for us and for the providers who deliver circles is enormously difficult. And I have to say we have... A handful of very loyal um, charitable funders and philanthropists that I say thank you to them every day because if it's not for them, we will not survive. You know, thank goodness there are people out there who do fund us and who understand the value of our work. And they've been sticking to us over many, many years. And they fund both Circles UK as well as the providers, um, which we are just so grateful for. But there's just way too little, you know, if I, I get sometimes frustrated because, you know, you remind yourself, look, you you make a change in your own little corner, you know, and that's how you change the world. Um, but I just sometimes think with just a little bit of an investment of extra resources, we can just broaden our range and what we can affect because there's a real evidence base for circles. I mean, there's uh, cost-benefit analysis have been done both in the United States and in the UK, showing that it saves you money to run circles. There's very clear evidence that circles reduce the risk of further offending of that person. Um, it also brings a whole lot of other benefits, like it improves the personal well-being of um, um Perpetrators. Now, people always say, why are you interested in personal well-being? Do you want them to be happy? And we say, like, no, personal well-being is a key factor in reducing reoffending. So when what we found, the latest research um, that was completed in 2020 actually measured the personal well-being scale of core members, and there were a total of 188 people so it wasn't a small sample and when um, core members start a circle their personal well-being is significantly lower than that of the general population 
at nine months into the circle, their personal well-being is the same as the general population. Now, that's an enormous achievement. And also their social skills increase, their communication skills increase, because very often they are reserved, isolated people. And by helping them to make constructive friendships, by forming constructive relationships, you just give them, you open another world for them. Yeah, and, and those are the things that stop the offending. likelihood of them committing another crime, which surely is what anyone listening to this podcast, you know, we all want the same thing. It's just sometimes it's those unpalatable bits to some members of the public. They just, it just has to be that way. That's right, um, yeah. So when I was in my early 20s and I first heard about circles, I actually um, wanted to see one of the circles in action. So I did go along and I sat with um, some of the volunteers in a coffee shop and met a young man um, just so I could experience what it was like. And and I remember being totally blown away by the fact that A, it existed and how amazing it was, but how incredible the volunteers were. And it really opened my eyes to these sort of, you know, quiet angels that go around doing this sort of really, really difficult, challenging work. And, you know, the type of work that if people say, what do you do? And you tell them, you know, you could really end up in a bit of a, uh, probably a bit of an argument, quite frankly, um, with people disagreeing with what you do. But on that note, if there were people listening who were interested in volunteering for circles and becoming a circle member, um, what type of person do they have to be, first of all? We have very few requirements. Um, we don't require a qualification uh, or anything like that, anything formal. We require maturity. Um, and that is normally kind of measured in the screening process and in the application process because you can imagine it's it's dark material that we work with sometimes and you need someone who who is resilient, who can actually deal with, with that kind of stuff in a mature way. Um, also, what is very interesting, uh, we don't exclude people if they have been survivors of sexual abuse because very often they make the best volunteers, um, interestingly. Uh, however, we work with them again during the screening and the um, um, assessment process when we determine if they can be a volunteer to see have they sufficiently come to terms with their own trauma that they are ready to work with a core member under those circumstances or are they going to confuse some of their own trauma with that of the core member and that can be detrimental to a circle. So we look at all those things. So generally we require that they must be older than 18, they can't be below 18, um, but we take students, we have people from all walks of life, we have ex-bankers, we have ex-professional people, we have we once had a stockbroker. So it can be anyone. We also deliberately want a diverse pool of volunteers because the volunteers represent our communities and that is diverse. And the needs of core members are very diverse. So we want as fast, but we want men, we want women, we want uh, all ethnic um, groups. We want, you know, a, a range of, 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 of diverse um, reflections in a, in a circle. Um, so they can just, if they're interested in volunteers and I, uh, volunteering, and I can just say that every day we are humbled by our volunteers. They are the most special people. And very often they find it difficult to tell their partners, their families, 
what they are doing. You know, we've had this, there was recently a Sky News documentary that was made on circles. And there's that wonderful bit of footage where one of our volunteers is talking to a partner. And he says, I'm not quite sure I like you doing this work. You know, are you safe? Are you sure you know this is what you should be doing? And that kind of demonstrates often the conversations that they need to have. We had one volunteer who worked um, for Circle Southeast um, for a number of, of, of years. And she always said, please don't tell my mother. She would be very concerned at what I'm doing. Now, sometimes they can tell their mothers and their mothers are very supportive. You know, so I'm not saying that they always have to keep it secret they work in a circle but again they need to weigh it up what kind of resistance they will get there are some volunteers who tell us that in the beginning my friends thought what I was doing was very weird but now that they know a little bit more they actually admire it and they've come along as well and volunteered so it's possible and many of our volunteers are students who are studying psychology criminology law so for them that is not so strange to be doing this kind of role you know and I think the volunteers tell us they get a lot out of how the circles providers work with them. They are very well supervised. We invest a lot in them. They get continuous training and development. And also what is wonderful is that core members have said to us the fact that there are people who are prepared to turn up and not get paid for coming to talk to me and working with me is what made them turn their lives around. Very often for that core member, those that group of volunteers that they meet with every week is the first group of people who treat them positively, who don't constantly shame them, who constantly blame them, who constantly harp on their past, but actually help them to look to the future and say, how can I go forward in a more positive way? So I cannot speak highly enough of our volunteers. We have a number of players in, in a circle. There's the core member who is prepared to participate and change his or her life. There's the volunteers who facilitate that and make it happen. There's the coordinators who manage all of that and make sure the information goes through to the police, to probation. They support the volunteers. There's the providers who actually are responsible for delivering these circles, and we've got 10 all over England and Wales. So I can't speak highly enough of their expertise and how they they work. Um, and then we have those people who fund us, who believe in us, you know, is prepared to, to, to actually put their money into into what we do. And um, and there's the communities from whom the volunteers come, you know, because again, a circle is this interesting triangular process between a charity, all our providers are charities, you have the statutory agencies who form the outer circle, and then you have the community where the volunteers come from. Now, I can't think of any a more perfect model than that, where you bring those three powerful uh, sources together and you all pull together to prevent further victims. That's that's perfect. The holy grail, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, so. it's, I mean, thank goodness that you exist and I think Circles is such an inspiring charity and as I said, known about it for many, many years. Um, thank you so much for discussing this with me today and if anyone's interested in learning more about Circles, there'll be information in the footnotes of the podcast but Rihanna, thank you so, so much for, for sharing everything with me today. I mean, it's really, Circles is an incredibly inspiring and um, most important 
absolutely a crucial, vital charitable organisation. So thank you so much for all your work. Thanks, Edwina, and thank you for interviewing me today. We, we really appreciate your interest in, in what we do. Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review, and best of all, share this episode. Justice is produced for one small thing by the London Podcast Company. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.